Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to the Bridge Teaching Podcast. We hope that the messages you hear are both uplifting and challenging. And now, welcome to the Bridge. Okay, so here's the deal. Um, we are concluding this series called Live No Lies, and we're focusing on this book, this incredible book, um, by this radical dude named John Mark Comer. He wrote this book called Live No Lies. Tonight's the last night, and we're talking about the world, and um, I do invite you guys as we kid around, we've kidded around already, and we're going to play around after service. However, I hit on like serious, serious, as serious as you can get topics, right? So I do, I do um, ask for your attention, um, and I do ask for a certain amount of maturity, because I think it's easy to like make jokes about some of this stuff, and I ask you to refrain from that and lock in, and let's get real with this. So in this series, we're picking apart why is life so hard? Because as Christians, you might be like, look, I have the truth, and life is still hard. I want to be a Christian. This is difficult. It's hard enough for me just to be a human, nonetheless a Christ follower in this world that I live in. And you might be here tonight and being like, hey, look, I feel like there is a civil war going on inside of my head, and my heart, and my soul. And the reason why it might feel that way is because there is. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6 that our struggle, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Jesus promised us in John 16 that in this world we will have what? Starts with a T. Trouble. Good job, Liam. Yes, we will have trouble. Because we are promised those things, the tyrants that promote those things are the devil, the flesh, and the world. You can read with me on the screen. These are the devil these deceptive ideas that play to disordered desires, which is the flesh that are normalized in a sinful society, the world. We talked about these other topics, and now we're talking about the world as our last topic. So everyone, please stand at this time, and I'm going to read you many verses about the world, and we're going to get an idea of what Jesus is talking about here. So let me pray before we read. God, I love you, Lord. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. I pray that we have a heart to um, just show you attention and show you honor tonight, Father God, and that we would receive this word uh, as the authority in our life. And if we don't yet know Jesus, God, I pray that these people in here would just have open hearts to hear what you have said about these matters, Father God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You guys can sit. Thank you so much. It says in John 15, if the world hates you, you can read me on the screen, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of the what? The, the world. I chose you to come out of the so it hates you. Look at this in John 17. This is Jesus again. I have revealed to you the ones you gave me from this. Thank you. They were always yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you, for I have passed on to them the message you gave me. They accepted it, and they know it, and they know that I came from you, and they believe you sent me. My prayer is not for the... Okay, I'm not going to make you guys do it anymore. Thank you so much. You're doing so good, though. My prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me, because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me, so they bring me glory. Now I'm departing from the world. They are staying in this world, but I'm coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Let's jump down to verse 14. I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to this world, just as I do not belong to this world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. Verse 16. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Are we getting the message from Jesus saying, if you're a Christ follower, you do not belong to this world. Verse 18, just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. Let's look at 1 John. 
Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not, this is heavy, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for a physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Last one. Romans 1 verse 20. Forever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Though everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. So I'm going to talk about these matters. And then, um, Connor, are you in here right now, bro? Can you go help Isaac find that Texan number we had from Sunday? Because I'm actually going to use this at the end, this is that 345 number. As I'm teaching and you guys want to text in a question based off of what I'm talking about, ideally me and Mike can answer some of your questions tonight. Okay, cool. Is that it? Okay, sweet. That's the number. Um, it's 321-345-0031. Disregard that text at the bottom. That was from like event stuff. So, but th- this is going to be uh, the number you're going to use for questions based off tonight. Me and Mike are going to come in and answer these at the end because I don't want you guys to walk out of here like, like being like, oh, I have a lot of just confusion or, or doubts or just concerns or just, just want more clarity on these things. And we'll be hopefully able to offer that to you tonight, okay? So um, hopefully we'll have some time for that at the end of the night tonight. So um, y'all know who Louis Armstrong is? Okay. Does anyone know how he sings? Can you give me a sample? Yeah, there it is, Xander, you know. Um, you know, he sees that song, like, I see trees of green. Red, there it is. Red roses, too, right? So good, Liam. You are a gift and a treasure to me. It's so good. And I think to myself, a wonderful world. Okay. So we just read a lot of texts about the world. And then you got Louis Armstrong singing about how much he loves the world. And if you're a Karen, I don't reference Karens a lot, right? But I am right now. You hear that song and you're like, "Uh uh-uh, we don't love the world. We are Christians here. Me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Can I get an amen somebody, right? See, like there's some confusion here because I see that song. I agree with Louis. There there are beautiful parts of my life. I love being a dad. Man, I, I love being a husband. I love doing life with you. I love my life, right? But I'm not, I'm not idolizing comfort, but it's okay. God wants me to be thrilled with the blessings he's given me. But then we just read all these gnarly verses about how we are not called to love the world. And if we love the world, then the love of the Father is not in us. So you guys might be like, okay, like there's things I like in this world, but Jesus has a lot of really intense things to say about the world. Has anyone ever traveled somewhere that was just beautiful or awesome? Yeah. Berlin. Berlin. Okay, cool. Yeah, Wellington. That's right. That's so cool. Oahu. So sick. Okay, yeah. Dude, you guys love Hawaii. Yeah, anyone else? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Does God hate that? Does Jesus hate that? No way. He created that. What is creation in in those things of the world supposed to do? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well done. Yeah, yeah. That's good. To glorify the Father, to, to point the creation ought to point towards God. The world should point towards God. So, so what do you guys think, to talk to you, when Jesus is like crucifying the world, you know, and, and John Mark is very against the things of this world, like, like what are they referring to? Does anyone have an idea? Okay. The negative parts of the world. What's another answer? Sin. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, what do you think? Yeah, I think so. 
I think oftentimes society is a good word for that. Uh, when Jesus says the world, our generation, our generation might call it culture or society. Look at this definition from John Mark on the screen. The world is a system of ideas, values, and practices, and social norms that are institutionalized into a culture that is organized around the rebellion against God and the redefinition of good and evil. How do we keep from getting assimilated by the world? That's the question. See, the world, when we talk about the world, we're saying culture and society. They either, A, they attempt to live as if there is no God, or worse and extremely common, the world is anti-God. So the, de- the devil makes bad things that Jesus called evil and hurtful to us, good, through deception. And then your flesh says, I want that. And then the world says this, everyone is doing it. So you as a Christ follower, if you guys could finish this for me, you are in the world, but you are not what? You are not of it, exactly. So in times past, culture and popular opinion define right and wrong, okay? Take the 1950s, for example. Were stores open in the 50s? Excuse me, on Sunday, on Sunday. Sorry, I'm an idiot. No, 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 they weren't. It, like, you know, like Kanye sings about clothes on Sunday. It wasn't just Chick-fil-A that was closed. Everything was closed on Sunday. Why, why was everything closed in the 50s on Sunday? Okay, well, I mean, ultimately, yes, yes. So, but, but people needed a Sabbath, and culture believed in that, right? But was everything good in the 50s? Even though those were some good parts of culture, certainly not. We had segregation in the 50s. Women were not encouraged to work right? But ultimately, who defined what was good, culture or society? Is that true in 2022? I would say not entirely. I would say now, instead of culture defining what is good, I would say this self defines what is good. We have things and we have sayings like, this is my truth. I met with someone recently that we, like, they know I'm a pastor and a follower of Jesus, and they were basically saying, that's your truth. This is my truth. People don't want the truth. They claim that there is no such thing. Have you guys heard the expression, um, there's a whole lot of chiefs and not enough Indians? You guys ever heard this before? It's because people want to rule their own life. But Jesus already said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He's already made decisions about matters that we're trying to make decisions and talk about. So would you guys say that our world, specifically American society, would you say it's a post-Christian culture? Is that fair to say? Like, we used to be a Christian culture, and now we're really becoming a post-Christian culture. Would you guys agree? I, I would believe that to be true. So I think the world, in its efforts, what does it want? I believe the world wants human rights. It wants kindness and dignity. And I believe it also, um, yeah, just wants a lot of really good things, maybe even godly things. But the problem is this. They want the kingdom without the king, Right? They want the things of the kingdom of heaven, but they don't want King Jesus to be a part of it. All these things that the world wants, that's really part of the Jesus revolution, but they don't want Jesus because why? Why why do they want the things of Jesus, but not Jesus himself? Because Jesus has an agenda. Jesus has a plan for how we ought to live. Whereas the world says, I want my own agenda and I want my own way. See, there are parts of the world that are good and are true and are beautiful. But if there's things in the world that Jesus has deemed as sinful, we as Christ followers must be intolerant of those things. Why must we be intolerant of sin and things that Jesus has defined as sinful? Is because ultimately sin keeps people from God and Jesus wants people to have him. So he doesn't want us to keep on living in such a way that keeps us separated from him. Don't believe it. Jesus already proved it historically through the cross. 
And here's what's interesting. I think many people, including Christians, they're prone to viewing their faith as something that they can pick and choose. John Markey says it like this. You can read with me. We are in charge of doctrine and morals rather than God. We are in charge. This is appealing because we can blend into the culture. He's talking about Christians, right? He's saying we can blend into the culture, minimize discomfort, and still have the illusion that we are Christians. So oftentimes in the evangelical non-denominational church, we are picking and choosing the things that are, are cool with society, and then we're staying away from the things that society doesn't really like because I do believe that we're creatures who idolize comfort and we want people to like us. I want to be liked, and that is okay, but I won't choose being liked if it means God is not gonna be pleased with me. I will choose God's way over those things. See, I think the temptation of Christians is this. They don't want Jesus or They want Jesus and. They want to keep the things that aren't of God just so they can simply belong. So I believe some common questions the world says of the way of Jesus is how could a loving God not allow my sexual preference? If God loves me and I feel like I'm born this way, then how could God allow me to not allow me to do that if I'm not hurting anybody. I understand that. If you feel that way, I'm with you. I love you. I got your back. I'm here to guide you with, guide you through that, right? I'm not gonna banish you if, if, if that has arisen in your life or if you have people who love you in your life. No matter what you believe, no matter where you're at in your walk, if you come in these doors in this youth group, you will be treated with kindness, respect, and dignity. However, in love, we will speak the truth that comes from the way of Jesus. But that is a common question. If, if like, look, I have this sexual, it's a great question. If I have this sexual preference that's not hurting anybody, then why can I not partake in it? It's a challenging question. But what about this? This is a little bit older of a question. How could a loving God send someone to hell? And let me just answer that question specifically for a moment. Jesus said the wages of sin is what? Right, which means does God institute that death or do we earn it? It's saying the wages of sin is that saying, I earned that separation from God. I earned that banishment from him. It's not God that sends people to hell. It's me choosing in re- to reject Jesus and not accept his gift of salvation that separates me from God forever. I think that the great lie is this, and this is what Adam and Eve fell into, is they believe with God's instructions and God's command, right? This is how we all sin, is we, is we see the proverbial apple on the tree and we're like ah i want it but but god says i can't have it but i really want it it'd be really nice to actually be able to live like that or do that or receive that or have that but i I really want i can't though and then satan comes along and lies to us and makes us believe that god and his commands and his loving instruction makes us believe he deceives us satan deceives us and makes us believe that god who's our father who loves us and wants what best for us is withholding something good from us. That's where deception comes. See, we have to remember, we have to trust God. An old pastor said it like this. Sin is not bad because it is forbidden. It is forbidden because it is bad. Jesus doesn't give us commands just because he's some dictator. He gives us commands because he's the creator and he knows how we can thrive at our highest level. The creator knows best. I give you guys this example a lot. What kind of phone is this? It's an iPhone, right? Because I'm not an idiot. I didn't buy an Android. No offense, Connor. I'm just kidding. He knows way more about technology. If Connor says do it, I'm trust him nine times out of ten. Connor, are you ever going to convert to iPhone? 
Okay, is anyone out on iPhone? Okay, who's all in on iPhone with me? You're alone, man. No, I'm just kidding. Connor's like, why are you doing this to me? I'm just, I'm just here. I'm sorry, right? Okay. I, dude, we're going to get to that, Liam. Don't you worry, buddy. You aren't wrong. That, that, that shames me so bad. But, but here's the thing. I give you guys this example. We have a creator, and he knows how we best can thrive. So if this table, which it is wobbly, I could put my phone under this table to prevent it from wobbling. But is that what the phone was, was, that, is that what the phone was designed to do? No, it could, you could do that. It might work, but that's not how this phone is going to thrive at its highest. That's just a quick example of how God who created us, he knows best how we ought to function. So even if the majority, the culture, the world, popular opinion says this is good and beautiful and true and this is how we ought to live and ought to feel, the majority is certainly not always right. For example, I believe that in the world, Lust is redefined as love. With divorce, right, half of us in here are coming from divorced homes. And, and I believe that it's certainly some instances, and even in the church, I believe that there are some cases where divorce is certainly necessary. One of my best friends got divorced. He was in an extremely physically abusive relationship, and he was forced to get divorced. And I do certainly believe with Scripture that is what God wanted to uh, for his life, unfortunately, at that time. It's never God's best or what he wants, right? And honestly, had he dated God's way, he wouldn't have ended up in marriage in the first place to this person. Um, but the problem is this, is that on a dominant level, the, the idea about marriage is you should find someone that meets your needs and satisfies your needs, right? And if they are not doing that, then I will break that, that covenant and I'm gonna treat it like a contract that I can simply throw away. When, when that is not how it ought to function, as people who one day possibly want to be married or we possibly want to be single all our lives, which, quick side note, singleness is pretty rad in the Bible and not a bad thing at all, but many of us will want to get married. Statistics prove that most of us do want to get married, and in that, I do believe that God has a plan for that. I think that with marriage, we're so quick to say, it's not working out, so I'm going to get a divorce. And it's being defined as, that's courageous. You're so brave. Good job. Over, you just didn't know how to get along. You didn't know how to communicate effectively. You didn't know how to place another person's needs above yourself. Where could that come from? It came from the fact you started from a place of, I'm with them because they meet my needs, rather than God's way. I'm with them because together we can meet each other's needs. That's a compatible, that's a beautiful relationship. And this is heavy because many guys, and now girls included, the numbers are rising on a day-by-day level. This is where I invite you guys to be serious with me. But men and women are objectified through porn, right? Where people who were created in the image of God are now becoming objects of our pleasure. And it's extremely common practice for, for in, in, in the world for, for couples to watch porn together. And this is and resulting in extremely dissatisfied relationships, and this is not a Christian statistic, this is a worldly statistic, the number two reason that most people end up getting broken up with or being dissatisfied in their relationship is because of porn consumption. What's fascinating is that even in the world, neurobiologists all agree this thing everyone is addicted to and can do in such privacy and secrecy is having a bad effect on our life. So once again, if you're in here wrestling with this, and I've shared with you guys my testimony, I wrestled with that addiction for nine years and God healed me from it. 
And I believe God can heal you too, but I'm not going to be in here saying to you that this is good for you. This is ruining us. It's, it's, it's ruining our life, but this is normalized in a sinful society. Consumerism forces people into slavery and unfair rages and poor living conditions, right? So um, these Sperry's that I'm wearing were given to me by my brother, but he bought them brand new. He, uh, I, I don't think Sperry's are made in the USA. I don't know. Like I know vans for sure aren't. I have like a million vans, right? Vans are probably made somewhere in Korea, maybe by a very young person who's not getting paid a living wage, right? And he's being forced to live in unfair living conditions, right? I would say there's not a single store in the Melbourne Square Mall where you can buy something that wasn't made by slave labor. Now, I don't buy new clothes. You're like, Jackson, we know, right? I only buy secondhand, and a lot of clothes I have, I've had for years, ever since I learned about what's going on. However, Liam called me out so hard because I have an iPhone, which is also like, I'm not perfect in this. I'm trying to do better. So I'm not shaming anybody in this, but I think as Christians, we gotta be aware of these things and be like, look, like I'm not partaking of that just so I can have another 30 shirts, which I maybe only wear two times. So we have to start considering these things, but because we're such consumers in this world, we, we don't care. We're like, like, I'm probably gonna go buy that, like those new Jordans, which I have tomorrow, right? We're, we're not hesitating and saying, maybe we ought to reconsider, even though the world is saying, spend, 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 buy, 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 more, more, more. Not only is that not good for my soul in general, but it's actually coming at the price of young people across the globe. But, but, but that, that's okay, because it's consumerism, and this is a capitalistic society we live in. Now we're going to go into some more sexuality issues for a second. Check this out on the screen. The World Professional Association for transgender health, this is not a Christian website. This is the world, like what are the odds on that when I found the study? The World Professional Association for Transgender Health said hormones could be started at age 14, two years earlier than the group's previous advice, okay? So they were advised to say, hey, like, look, this is not good to start until like you're 16. Now that's being changed at the age of 14. This was a year ago, so it could be even younger now. And some surgeries are being done at ages 15 or 17, a year or so earlier than previous guidance. The group acknowledged potential, potential risk, but said it is unethical and harmful to withhold early treatment. But listen to this doctor. Look at this next slide with me. This is from John Hopkins, a non-Christian. This is what Dr. Paul has to say about these things. He says, transgendered men do not become women, nor do transgendered women become men including Cruz Jenner. They become feminized men or masculinized, with, with, masculinized women, counterfeits or impersonators of the sex with which they identify. In that lies their problematic future. So the world does this. It says, if you pursue this, if you take this intense surgery, if you start hormone therapy at a very young age, then you'll be happy. Then you'll find contentment. Then you'll find fulfillment. But the problem is we're being told a lie, we go through all this hormone therapy, we go through the surgery, and it's still not enough. We still have a God-shaped hole inside of our heart. These things, they're being painted as courageous. Parents who, it's really coming from parents, this is poor parenting going on right now. When this is going on, they're being painted as courageous people. And man, I have these nursing friends who were nurses in Colorado, 
and one of the nurses was a NICU nurse, like neonatal babies who were born way too early or had kinds of issues. And she said majority of the parents, or not majority, but a lot of the parents in Colorado, like on the birth certificate, they're asking it, asking them to leave it blank, saying we're gonna let the baby choose when they're old enough. It's not right. Like being a teenager is hard enough. Like, man, I can't imagine, man, having this promoted to me and shoved to me as a teenager, having these, like, like, like decision-making is hard enough. Now I have to choose my gender. My parents aren't going to help me figure out who I am. They're not going to point me to the truth. And like, look, this is what I'm telling you guys is as a Christian who's not of the world, this is not popular. As Christians, if we're not going to talk about these tough topics, then I'm saying I idolize my comfort. I want people to like me more than I care about telling people the truth. And, and that's not the way of Jesus. He's going to speak the truth in love, and it's not to hurt anybody. It's not to hurt anybody. But, but it is in love. We're going to tell people the truth because we believe that the truth sets people free. This is the way of Jesus. And side note, in case I don't get to it, if someone doesn't follow Jesus, if someone doesn't believe in the word of God, I'm not going to hold them to these standards I'm sharing. You know what I mean? Like, I hate when Christians hold people to a godly standard if they don't believe in God, you know? We don't fix these big issues until we talk about, to them about Jesus. Does that make sense? Like it's, like, it's like, we don't have a sexuality problem. We don't have an abortion problem. We don't have a um, slave labor problem. Our, our problem is, is that all of us have sinned against a perfect God. Can I get an amen, somebody? Can we agree on that? So, so it's, it's not these, these issues, but these, um, what I'm point, what, why, why am I pointing these out? I'm just pointing out items that are normalized in society that ought not be normal in the way of Jesus, okay? So let's talk about abortion. It is painted as a protection of women's rights. I'm aware this is a complex issue. Man, one of my best friend's mom had an abortion. You guys might have parents that have had abortions. You might know people who have had abortions. What are we gonna do with people like that? What if you're that person? Going to be treated with kindness, love, and dignity. Going to be treated the way I would want to be treated. I don't want anyone to hold that against me or judge me or look at me differently because of wrongdoings I've made in my past, right? Like I share with you a part of my past I'm not proud of. Are you guys going to hold that against me the rest of my life? I hope not. I hope you look at me the way that Jesus looks at me, that I can turn to him and he'll restore me and love me as a son or daughter, that he'll take the things I've done wrong and separate them from me forever and never make me feel shame for them, those things again. However, I'm aware this is a complex issue, but we have to look at some of the facts here. I have two brothers with special needs, one by blood, one birth brother, my youngest brother, Paul, and then my, my even younger than him, he's adopted. His name is Toby. He's adopted, but he has special needs as well. Now, what's fascinating is both of them have special needs, and I'll get to that point about making the point that they're special needs. But Toby's mom was six months pregnant and on her way to an abortion clinic in Boston, Massachusetts, to have Toby aborted. And the reason why she did not abort this baby is because there were these Catholic ladies who were nurses who had a trailer with an ultrasound machine in it and is saying, hey, look, like we have alternatives, we have help, we have options. And in that, she got an ultrasound, saw this six-month grown baby in the womb, and was like, oh, my gosh, like, what am I doing? And she, um, through these, nurse, uh, these nurses, found my mom, who had had four miscarriage, miscarriages previously, really wanted another baby, and said, like, look, like, we have this baby. 
who needs a mom, like, will you be it? You know, and my mom was thrilled. And the reason there were multiple families, many families wanting this child, but she chose our family because there was already five of us. And which actually sounds kind of selfish, right? But the truth is it was the mom's decision and she wanted Toby to have a lot of brothers and sisters, which is why he ended up in my family. But here's where I'm going with this. Both of my brothers are special needs. Have you guys noticed something pretty wild? We're seeing less and less adults with Down syndrome. Have you guys thought about that? And I, I wasn't aware, I, I hadn't clicked in my brain until I was reading some studies. 60% of people in the United States who are being diagnosed in the womb with Down syndrome are being aborted, okay? So we're able to determine in the womb if a child is gonna have Down syndrome or not. Does anyone, does anyone know anybody with Down syndrome? You guys know what that is, right? Incredible people, beautiful people, amazing people that are a gift, right? Creating the image of God, but 67% of people who are being diagnosed with Down syndrome are being aborted. That's why we're seeing less of them. That's in the States. 77% of young people with Down syndrome are being aborted in France. And in Denmark, it's 98%. Like, like, look, like you guys know, like I'm willing to hit on these topics, right? And, and, and maybe we should more, I don't know, right? But these are things that are normalized and celebrated in a sinful society. Like, I hope you guys are like, are, are your eyes being open like mine are? Like, this can't be normal. We can't go with the flow of these things, and we can't treat these things like normal. The, wor- the world does not define what is good, true, and the beautiful the way that the word of God actually does. What Jesus says is good and true and beautiful, because as a Christian, now listen, Jesus has authority in my life. As in Jackson's life, Jesus' word has the authority. And if you're a Christ follower, the only way you can be is a Christ follower, if Jesus has authority in your life as well. And Jesus, he's already spoken about these matters, so we can't cherry pick and choose about things that Jesus already has decided on. So with that, what do we do? Like, you guys, we just went over some crazy stuff. The world is a sinful society that is raging against God himself. So what can we do? Well, I got good news. Mike Roberti. He gave up his retirement, and he got us a compound out in Mims, and uh, it's got an eight-foot wall, and it's got barbed wire around it, and there's enough food and shotguns, and we're just going to go live in there. It's, it's just like, yeah, it's just like Waco, right? And uh, we're going to live there, and we never have to go out in the world again. Is that what Jesus wants? No? No, that's not what he wants. The answer is no. No. Amen. Amen. We're going to get to that. What would you say, Caleb? Or who was that? Matt, you, what'd you say? But, but be, be in it, but not of it, right? Taking it out of context, buddy. No, I'm just kidding. That was good. That's good. Okay. So what should we do then? We're going to get to Matthew chapter 5. See, I have one of our four values is devotion and discipline. That one of the four things that are most important to me in your time with me is that you are devoted people and disciplined people. Why? Because spiritual disciplines are our spiritual warfare. So, man, there are many disciplines, but man, the ones I really, really, really need you to integrate into your life are the consumption and the knowledge of the word of God and prayer. And you're like, why can't any pastor ever preach a teaching without teaching that? Is because the reason why you and I, we want to spend time in the quiet in the secret place with God on a daily basis is because while we're in the world, we're not of it. And we do need time on a regular daily basis to come out of the world. 
When we go off to the quiet place with the Father, just like Jesus modeled, that's saying, I might be in this world, but in this moment, I'm not of it, and I'm gonna connect to the God, or, God, the, the God my Father himself, and I'm gonna be reminded of who I am and where I'm going and what my life is all about. So how do we not get consumed by this stuff? Like, you guys might be like, I haven't thought about this stuff in a long time. We need to get out of the world and spend time in the quiet with God because we're not of this world. And then the second thing I want you to be devoted to and disciplined to, because spiritual disciplines are our spiritual warfare, is time in fellowship with godly community. Everyone look at your neighbor and say, I'm winning. You're winning. You're here right now. This is what this is about. Why is church attendance important? Why do I always tell you guys, I don't want you to graduate from high school and simultaneously graduate from the church? Is because I believe that you and I remember who we are by in church, stepping out of the world and stepping into community. So you can say, maybe I'm not a crazy person. Maybe going along with the world isn't the way it ought to be. And here you come and you learn that Jesus has a plan for your life, that you're not supposed to go with the flow of the world, but you with the community together, with people who carry your burdens, who place the needs of other people above their own, remember who you are and what it is you are about. So we don't bail on the world. We're not going to Mike's compound, unfortunately. We're to be in it and not of it. But Jesus, you're going to learn, he says, you're supposed to be a light, in fact, to the world. It says in Matthew 5, you are a light to the world, a town built on a hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and give it its light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Check out this translation. It says, here's another way to put it. You're here to be light bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm gonna hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, then shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. Keep opening up to others. You'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. So you guys, we have to remember, we're not called to withdraw. We're called to invade. It says that the gates of hell shall not prevail against God himself. We have the light and we are the light bearers. So we are not supposed to run from the world. Instead, run to it and say, I know the way. I know the truth. I know how to have life to the fullest. And his name is Jesus. We are God's redemption plan for the universe. I tell you guys all the time, Jesus ascended into heaven. He didn't stay. And the disciples, they all died, and now they're with the Father in heaven. He left you and I empowered with the Holy Spirit to go out into the world and be light to the world and say, hey, this world, in its present form, it is fading away. It is perishing. We're all going to die, but that's not the end. We all have a soul. And in that, I believe we're going to stand before a perfect God, and our judgment before him depends not on what I did ultimately or didn't do. It all depends on where I stand with Jesus Christ himself. That is your call. That's what you do with all these painful and hard topics in the world. But you as an exile, and I like the message translation that First Peter explains, says you are, yes, a royal priesthood. And it says that, yes, you're also an exile in this world. But it says, don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. It says, don't get cozy in this world. Otherwise, you will become of it when you're not of it. So that's our mission. That's our call as Christ followers is, man, I might be in this world, but I'm not of it.
but I'm not giving up on it because Jesus said there are still some that aren't of this world that we're here to save. So if you could, Isaac, throw that number back up on the screen. Mike, grab, grab, grab a chair with me, bro. And um, guys, I hit on topics that are heavy, you know? I hit on topics like um, transgender. I hit on abortion. Um, sorry, I can't do that with one hand if you could hook me up, bro. Um, you know, uh, man, divorce, relationships, and you might even have questions of like, okay, let me get clarity on that because parts of the world are awesome, um, but what parts am I not supposed to indulge in? And because these are hard topics, I specifically asked Mike to come down here with me to either A, just back me up and give me a good answer, or B, um, just if I say something wrong to have my back there as well. So you guys check out that text on the screen and, and help us out and get us a question. Um, <clears throat> and... Um, should be coming through on here. It's just through the Google voice number. So let's see those questions start to come through, guys. And um, I'm just going to pray over me and Mike as you guys are pulling that up, okay? God, I love you, Lord. Just be over me and Mike in this time as we answer some, some hard questions or some difficult questions, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And if anyone's bold, guys, we, uh, we're comfortable um, <clears throat> you standing up and asking, okay, too. We're, we're super, are we cool with that? I'm cool with that. Cool, okay. So I already got three coming in, so I'll start with these, but keep them coming for us, okay? We have um, about 15 minutes here. <clears throat> okay, here. Okay, here's a really good one. Really hard. Thank you for this. How do you deal with your parents who are in the middle of a divorce? How do you deal with your parents who are in the middle of a divorce? So I'm going to answer this. But if I'm not answering it, like, with clarity, or, like, you're like, that's not exactly what I was asking, you can send another follow-up to that, okay? You know what's hard about parents who are in divorce? I remember there was this really sweet girl that you had in the edge, and then you had her in middle school, and then I had her in high school. And her parents were going through divorce, and she came up and asked for a prayer for me after service. And, she, and I was like, well, what do you need prayer for? And she said, I want courage to be able to ask my parents to get a divorce, and that just, like, broke my heart. And that meant there were a lot of bad things and hard things and rough things going on at home. She couldn't take it anymore. She wanted them to get a divorce. And so I guess I would just invite you to remember, student, that you can't be more than something God made you to be in this scenario. You're not a parent, right? You're not the dad and you're not the mom. I don't know if this was a guy or girl that sent. All you can be is who God has you to be in this season. So accept your role as a child, I'm just a child that's getting put through a hard and unfair thing. So I just remind you, don't heap these burdens on yourself of like, well, what could I have done differently? Or what can I do to save this? Or how should I act? I just remind you to just be comfortable in the season that God has for you and that your hands are, are more tied than you realize and that stinks, but you also with that can't put burdens on yourself that God didn't design you to carry. So I think with that, man, be praying actively for your parents. Be praying. Um, my wife, Brianna, her parents are divorced, and she so got jacked up in her identity and forgot who she was. And um, just be praying for your parents, and don't forget your identity. Remember who you are. You're a child of God. You know, the, the only other thing I would add is make sure you don't let that um, impact what you think you can have. Start praying for a godly marriage now, right? Start praying for your godly spouse. Um, a lot of people don't get divorced. 
right? It seems like everybody in the world is divorced. And so sometimes it's like, oh, man, what's the chance of me, me having a good marriage? As a godly person, it's high, right? So, and then the other thing, and you, you kind of put it on there, don't ever take any of the blame because it's the divorce is the kid is never to blame. And yet so many kids I've talked to, they take blame upon themselves. So just just know that it's not your fault. It's two flawed people. We're all flawed. And just pray for them, like you said. <clears throat> this is one I think a lot of you guys can relate to, is how do you deal with loneliness after being single for a long period of time and um, lack of trusted friends? How do you deal with loneliness after being single for a long period of time? And then you have a la- lack of trusted friends. I think I get it. Like when I was your age, like I was dating. Um, and so I wish I could go and talk with this person. I wish I'd go and tell, like, 17-year-old Jackson, bro, your mom's right about this one. Don't date yet because it really is a waste of your time. You're going to get hurt. Your heart's going to get hardened. Um, it's going to affect your ability to trust people later because you're going to get betrayed, not because people are bad. It's just we're all still so immature and selfish right? Um, so I, I really hope, as you guys know, that Spencer Jacks trusts me and that my son is that he doesn't date until he's 18. And even that, I'm like, I hope he waits more after that, right? But I'm be like, Spencer, trust me on this. I think that in this season of your life, be a, a bro to your bros and be a sister to your sisters, if, if it's a girl. And in this season of life, friendship is where it's at. Um, that you, you will have someone coming for you one day, under God's plan and God's design. But Spencer, I do believe that dating is an evaluation process of marriage. And then in that, I think if you're a young person that's really struggling with singleness, it it may be because you're not secure in God alone and that he might not be enough for you yet. So you need something else. So I get that God wasn't enough for me. So I try to fill it with something else. And maybe if I have this relationship, then I'll be happy. But I say that with a caveat, right? Like while I don't promote dating in youth group, I, I don't condemn it either. Does that make sense? I don't promote it, but I don't condemn it. I want you to do like what your parents want, you know, because there, there's not a verse I have in the Bible that says you're blowing it either, right? So um, I don't promote it, but I don't condone it. And if you're in a relationship, don't be like, well, I can't talk to Jackson about it because he's anti-dating. I'm going to talk to you about it. I probably got some good advice for you and can help you, and I'm not going to judge you, okay? Um, but lack of trusted friends, um, I guess I would say, like, you got to guard your heart, but God did design you for community. So guard your heart, but don't give up on the pursuit for those trusted friends. Yeah, and I'm going to give the church answer, but it's so true. If you need friends, start praying for friends. Now, it's hard because, like, I, I, I said that once, in, actually, in the main sanctuary, and a kid came up, and he's like, man, I've been praying for friends for a long time. And so some people really do struggle. But, um, you know, I realized when I, after I moved to Florida that I really didn't have any really close friends. Um, and I just started praying about it. And uh, God gave me a friend that was amazing. And um, then I keep getting new ones. You know, he moved. Somebody else came up, you know. Um, he gave me Jackson, man. I got a great friend, right? But it, I, I pray about it because I don't make friends super easy. So, mm, that's good. so you know, pray about that. Um, and I just want to add on to the, the dating. I was one that didn't, that I used to argue with the other youth pastor 
um, like, yeah, you know, because he was like, don't date until you're ready to get married. And I was like, you know, really? Because I always thought, like, you know, maybe, you know, 12, 13, I was going to let my kids date. And my wife's like, no. But um, I will say this. I've changed my attitude by watching how much pain I've seen people go through. And I agree with Jackson now. It, you're better off not, right? Um, so, yeah, it just, it, it's, yeah, if you can do it. Yeah. <clears throat> this is a really good one and hard. How should we as Christians respond to someone saying, well, that's your truth, this is mine? Um, so that, I, I was, I get this a lot. Um, how do you respond to someone who's saying, that's your truth and this is mine? You know, guys, with, with talking to people about this stuff, it's hard for me to give a black and white answer because I do feel spirit-led in the moment and I do feel, believe that God gives me words at the time. So there have been times where I don't feel pressure to address that. You know, Jesus was asked a lot of questions and there were a lot of untrue points made to him. And he didn't always answer the question directly. You guys know what I'm talking about? So don't feel pressure necessarily to be like, I have to answer this just like this. But there are times when I point blank be like, look, is truth gray or is truth black and white? You know, just because my truth is that I can dunk on a 10-foot basketball hoop reality is like that that my truth that might be my truth but the reality is i'm five foot eight and and didn't do that when i was 18 i'm not going to do it at 33 you know what i'm saying like true like i believe that truth is black and white and is connected to reality um so there are times i i probe directly into that and time i'm like i don't feel pressure to answer that because i think if someone's saying to me well that's that's your truth this is my truth then they don't have a relationship with Jesus and, and I, I need to help them understand. So I point back to the veracity and the truth of the fact that Jesus existed. You know, I point them to the manuscripts. I point them to the eyewitness accounts. I point them to the archeology. span I don't focus on this truth and my truth stuff necessarily. And then what's amazing is a lot of people believe in the truth of Jesus Christ. And he said, I am the way, the truth and the life. So then at that point, they have to make a decision, well, I do, do I really believe Jesus? Is he a liar? Is he a lunatic? Or is he the Lord? So that's really how I probably, like, arrive at that place with somebody. Well, also, are you trying to win a debate or are you trying to lead somebody to Christ? Um, you don't have to prove your truth to them and that their truth is wrong. What you have to do is share the love of Jesus Christ so that they desire Jesus Christ. And I think we forget that sometimes. Um, I mean, there are times where you get in that debate. I love the debate. I, I love that question. I, I've been through apologetics and all that stuff. Um, but what is the ultimate purpose? Am I trying to win an argument, or am I trying to bring somebody to understand who Jesus is? So you just kind of pray about it, um, and then a lot of times you walk away. You know, you don't have to. You don't have to keep going. Walk away, pray some more, and open. Look for an open door when you can share Jesus's love. Yeah, that's good. I agree. This one's good is how do we reassure the people of the world that we are speaking to them out of love? Man, I, I think that, first off, if you're questioning that, like, how, how can I let them know this is from a good place? If that's your heart, like, I don't want them to feel unloved, you're probably the ones to have that conversation because that means you're doing it just as Peter said. He says, be ready to defend your faith in chapter, uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Be ready to defend it. Don't pass it up. Defend it. But he says, do so with gentleness and respect. So if you're, if you're like, man, how can I reassure them? 
um, I, I just I just want you to know you're the person to have that conversation. I think we keep in mind, just like Mike said, it's not about winning a battle with somebody. Um, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And then beyond that, uh, it says in 1 Corinthians, it's that the love of God compels us. So um, speak the truth in love, but really be loving and really be kind. And only God knows your heart. And I think people know of like, Am I this person that um, is is like a jerk? Like this, like I, I don't mean to get politi- political, but is this a political Christian and an American Christian, or does this person really have the heart of Jesus Christ? And they're they're speaking this. This is different. Um, I had a woman today. Um, you guys know I have a second kid coming, and so I was trying to pick up another nursing shift on Tuesdays for some extra money, and um, it didn't work out. They they wanted me for three days, and I was like, I can't do that. Um, cause I got the best youth group in the County, you know, no, um, but that is why I wasn't ready. I'm, I, I don't want to leave you guys. And, um, uh, she said to me, this was that, um, you know, I've had a lot of church hurt in my life and I'm so grateful for my time with you, even though you're not gonna be able to work with us. Like just being, being with you healed up a lot of church hurt, meaning she had a lot of people not speaking the truth and love to her and it hurt her. But me, just, just being a godly presence and, and proclaiming, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a youth pastor at Calvary Chapel in Melbourne. I'm not leaving that ministry because I'm called to it. But in, in just, in, and I didn't know she had church hurt, but me just being with her in love brought healing to her life. So I don't know if I'm answering it or not. But. I think you are, but I, I think the question is, why are you saying what you're saying, right? It's, it's how do we reassure the people of the world that we are speaking to them out of love? Yeah, yeah, but why are we speaking in the first place? It's right. We gotta make yeah. sure we're, we're speaking for a reason. If I'm telling them why their lifestyle is sinful, I'm not doing it out of love, right? Because that's not my job. So usually when people say, well, you know, you're not loving, unless they, if they ask me, so if somebody asks me, do, how do you think about this? And it goes against the Bible. I can say, look, this is what I believe from the Bible and say it in a loving manner. But I don't have to go up to someone else and go, this is what the Bible says, unless it's a Christian who I'm trying to, to bring back to the faith. Does that make sense? I mean, you got to be careful. Why are you having the conversation? So if your conversation is to prove that they're wrong, it's not loving no matter what you do. Yeah. Um, whoever wrote this one is, how do I stop my pride from getting in the way of my faith? Do you, do you know where they're going with that? How do I stop my pride of getting in the way of my faith? Is it the pride, I wonder, of them, like, needing the approval of people, and so, f- therefore, they don't live out yeah. their faith? Yeah, or that I'm more important than everything else, right, including... Yeah. including doing what Jesus yeah. wants. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, um, that, that, I, I think pride is something we all wrestle with. Um, but I think that the answer to that is God opposes the proud, but he favors the humble. Whoever wrote that, we don't want this pride clearly. That's why you're asking this. You're saying, how can I get rid of my pride because I care about my faith? So uh, God opposes the proud and gives favor to the humble. So you want to be humble. And to be humble means to get close to the ground. So I think really what that means is you need to be getting on your hands and face before God, saying, God, help me with this. Deliver me from this. Jesus, I'm gonna look at your way. And Holy Spirit, God, I need your help to submit to this. And in a lot of the ways, um, you might need to be filled with the Holy Spirit because if we're living in pride, thinking we're above people or better than people, or we need the approval of people, that's every single one of us in here. We want people to like us, sometimes more than God being pleased with us. 
when that's going on, I think we need to humble ourselves, get on our face and repent of that and then be empowered with spirit to, to walk in humility. Um, so, so I feel you on this. We all wrestle with this, but to get humble means to get low and get with the Father and, and um, go, go with him in the quiet place. Just real quick, though, if you're like struggling with that and you're like, well, I really don't want to pray that because I'm afraid that's what's going to happen. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes it's almost like I know I should pray it, but I don't want to pray it. Sometimes your first prayer has to be, God, let me have at least a desire to pray what you've told me to pray. I know that sounds weird, but I was doing something on surrender once, and I realized I didn't want to pray to surrender everything in my life. I truly couldn't say that prayer and mean it. And so I had to pray that God would give me the desire to want to pray that I could surrender. So, So just pray that God would change your heart to where you're at so that you'll desire that because it's a battle. You know, we know in our heads, that's what's best, that's what I should do. But I want to do this. Sometimes we got to pray, change my desire so that I can actually pray that I can stop doing that. Yeah. Um, we'll, uh, we'll take this one as the last one. I'm sorry we didn't get to all of them, guys. Um, how do you tell someone, specifically a non-believer, that the Lord is with them even when they feel like he's not? Well, that's fascinating. Because I believe the Holy Spirit is next to everyone, pleading with them, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Come to the Father. You need to repent. You need to change. You need to stop doing life on your own. But I feel like if they're a non-believer, I don't think they have God's favor in their life. Exactly. I think that the scriptures say they're, in fact, an enemy of God. So, so what's wild is, like, you probably didn't expect me to say this. I would say, guys, don't in, in, uh, reassure non-believers that God's with them. Because if, if they're not a believer, they're in bad standing with God. Because God is perfect and we're not. And so you might be like, well, that's intense. Well, he wanted to save us from that so much, he gave us Jesus. If we, if we could have God's favor and then still not have Jesus as our Lord and our salvation, that he would never have sent Jesus to die. So I think that's something that's so wrong we probably do in the church. Oh, we do it so much. I can, and, I can and, do it. Oh, so yeah, I'm not calling yeah, you out. Yeah, yeah. I, can, I, I can, like, be in fear. But this is where love comes. So Jackson's not a Christian, and he goes, oh, you know, this is happening. You know, I shouldn't go. Don't worry, God's with you. But you don't want to go, you're not a Christian. Dude. Yeah, God doesn't can't care help about, you. about anything. Can't help you. You know, I mean... You can still pray for people who aren't Christians. You can still do that. But we do that all the time. Like, oh, they're in a better place after somebody dies. I don't know where they're at. Now, I'm not going to tell them that, right? I mean, we have to do things in love and be cautious. But we tend to do that. Right, right. Oh, yeah, it'd be fine. God's taking care of it. Yeah. By the way, you could be a Christian and God might be letting you go through a hardship, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. so we have to be really careful that we don't just give those easy answers. Sure. And, and whoever asked that, thank you. Because, like, really like I think a lot of us probably have a, uh, some unlearning we have to do there. There's so many of us. So thank you for asking that great question. If someone, did you guys like going deeper with some of these topics we went on? Was that good? Cool, I agree. I, th- I think it's hard because we, we want, the heart of the question, whoever asked of, like, how can I tell these truths? Do I still be loving? I know this group. And why this is hard for you is because you don't want people to feel unloved. That's why this is challenging for me included. However, we're going to keep leaning into being spirit-led. And um, we're not going to point out these issues necessarily. We might, right? But for the most part, it's not an, um, a topic problem we have. The problem is, is that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And the only way we can be saved is to see if he is your Lord and Savior. 
until we get that right, none of this matters as much. We don't, we don't figure out all this other stuff and then figure this out as we come to Jesus as we are, whatever we're confused about, even whatever we disagree about. What matters is, where are you at with Jesus? That's the first thing I gotta figure out. What, what's the point of holding someone to godly standards if they don't love or believe in God? Does that make sense? So, um, but you as a Christian, if you're a Christian, you can't engage in behaviors and believe in behaviors and celebrate behaviors that Jesus had to die for that are normalized in the world. All right, to summarize. So, um, I love you. Let me pray for just, you. Just on one yeah. thing on that. Though, if you're struggling with those really hard things that are going on in the world, we're not going to judge you. Yeah, welcome to being a Christian. I mean, look, yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, there's, we, we rate sins, right? But we're all sinners, right? If you come and say to us, I'm struggling with this, None of us are going to go, or I know Jackson and I are, and our leaders won't go, oh, that's so sinful. What is wrong with you? Okay? We are here for you, whatever the struggle is, whatever the, um, the problems you're facing. You're not alone, just so you know, because so many people feel alone in the church. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Let me pray. God, I love you, Lord. Um, thank you for these students. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place. We welcome you in this place. Um, the enemy doesn't like when we get real about... Um, these items, but we did, Father God. So I ask for a hedge of protection over this room, that you would guard the thoughts and minds of um, these students of ours, Father God, that you would protect them from the evil one, that they would um, not believe the lies of the devil, they would overcome the flesh and live by you, Holy Spirit, and they would not um, celebrate the things that are sinful in the world that you died to set us free from, Father God, but instead we'd be a light to the world to set other people free, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey guys, thanks so much for spending time with us. If you'd like to learn more about The Bridge, please follow us on Instagram at wearethebridge. Also, if you need prayer, send us a DM. Otherwise, tune in next time.